There was a hearing in the Lori Vallow Chad Day Bell matters. I wonder what happened. Um, Alec Murdoch's worst nightmare? Opening the door to something that wasn't coming in. And then finally, our dumb criminal of the day. Let's talk about it. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thank you for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment. Hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. And today's sponsor is CrimeTalkSearch.com. Listen, if somebody new is coming into your life, maybe you're dating them, maybe you're going into business with them, you need to check them out. Go to crimetalksearch.com. You can do a background search on them. In fact, when you have a subscription, one that you can cancel at any time, you can do as many background searches as you desire. Now, this search is literally done while you wait and the report is emailed to you and you're gonna get information back about the person that you are searching. You're gonna get information about where they live. Do they have debts? Uh, are they, do they have tax liens? Are they on you know, one of those registries you know so much about? Do they have a criminal record? Do they have charges doing things against women or children? Those are the things you're gonna be able to find out. So go to crimetalksearch.com, get that information. Information is power. You'll be happy you did. All right, next on the docket. There was a hearing the other day in the Lori Vallow Chad Day Bell matter. I wonder what happened. That's right, because it was all done in chambers. Yeah, that's the only place I can think of that's possibly done anywhere in the United States is there in Idaho. Not sure why, but that's the way the Judge Boyce is doing it. Unbelievable to me. But there's a few filings that the court thought that us lay people, us non-involved, uh, could see without compromising great security and privacy there in Idaho. First, there was an objection filed by uh, Mr. Pryor as it relates to the government's 404B motion. Now remember, the 404B motion is something saying these are evidence of all the other crimes, other bad character evidence we want to bring in, but we're not doing it to say you're a bad person. We're doing it to show uh, motive, absence of mistake, modus operandi for very limited pur purpose. Now, of course, we do not have the prosecution's motion because we could not handle that, according to Judge Boyce. Too private, too private. But the response is quite simple from Chad DeBell through his counsel. It says the Sixth Amendment's Confrontation Clause provides that in all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to be confronted with the witnesses against him. I totally agree, absolutely. And they cite you know, the United States Constitution and this little case called Crawford v. Washington that says you have to bring the witnesses to the stand if the witnesses make testimonial statements. Testimonial statements are statements that one could reasonably believe could wind up in court. And um, testimonial statements from witnesses absent from trial are only admissible if the declarant is unavailable and where the defendant has had opportunity to cross-examine the witness previously. There you go. I wonder what it is. Because, I don't know, we're too stupid. We can't handle it. I mean, I don't know. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a case tried in chambers before. I've never seen a situation, and I hope, and I hope and I pray that the prosecution and the defense, although I think they stipulated to it, said, let's do it all in chambers, judge. We don't want anybody to know what's going on. 
Somebody should be objecting because I am, as a member of the community, not a member of Idaho, but as a legal community, that is just wrong. But Lori Vallow also filed a discovery response that apparently is worthy for us to know about. And it's pretty simple. It says the defendant tends to admit as exhibits various photos, papers, and documents. These items will be listed as an, on an exhibit list uh, when provided to the state upon completion. And all the photos, documents, and papers have come from discovery items turned over to the defense by the state. That's basically saying, hey, if I got exhibits, you provided them to us, uh, so don't be surprised uh, when we put them on our exhibit list. They also note that there will be no report of physical, mental, or scientific tests uh, that are going to be used in the guilt phase at trial, but should the defendant be convicted of first-degree murder, conspiracy to commit first-degree murder and grand theft, or conspiracy to commit first-degree murder as outlined in the indictment, the defense will revisit the issue for the punishment phase of the trial. As it relates to an alibi, the uh, alibi from Lori Vallow is once again reiterated, and I think this is worth noting. The defendant, Lori Daybell, was in her apartment at 175 at 565 Pioneer Road, Rexburg, Idaho, when J.J. Vallow and Tylee Ryan died in the apartment of Alex Cox, apartment number 107-565 Pioneer Road, Rexburg, Idaho. Defendant Lori Daybell was with Melanie Gibb, David Gibb, and David Warwick, and they're both on the state's witness list. Chad Daybell is in the Fremont County Jail, St. Anthony, Idaho, and uh, Lori Daybell was in Kauai, Hawaii, when Tammy Daybell died at the home of Chad and Tammy Daybell, 202 North 1900 East Rexburg, Idaho. Lori Vallow was with Melanie Polosky, P-O-W-L-O-W-S-K-I, and Audrey Bartirio, B-A-R-A-T-T-I-E-R-O. Ms. Polosky and Ms. Bartirio addresses are known to the state ends both on the state's witness list. And the defense does not intend to call any expert witnesses at the guilt phase of the trial. Should the defendant be convicted, however, they may revisit that issue and uh, they may have some expert testimony and we'll revisit the issue of whether they should be deposed previously. The defense has previously provided a curriculum vitae, fancy word for resume, to uh, Mark of Mark Cunningham and Dale Watson. And the defense does not intend to have any sort of mental condition as a defense pursuant to the Idaho Code. And the defendant objects to the request to depose any expert witnesses for purposes for punishment at all. And, you know, the defense had made a request, specifically Chad DeBell's counsel, had made a request for some DNA evidence to be turned over. And they filed that request back in December. And the DA shoots off and says, he wants this discovery turned over. Well, it was turned over on January 25th. The prosecution filed their response on January 27th. It took them over a month to get the information. And then they respond like, what's the big deal? I just, I just hate that. Anyway, we don't know what the heck is going on in that case because Judge Boyce wants to try the case in chambers. And uh, we're just going to have to wait and see if we're going to go to trial, if there's going to be a severance. Uh, what the juror questionnaire is going to include, all things that are routinely done in any court of law in view of the public on the record so that everybody can see, hear, and observe what is taking place. I've never seen anything like it before. And, um, you know, we want justice to be done, but this is just weird, okay? Just weird. 
All right, next on the docket, you know who's not having a good day? And what is a defense attorney's worst fear? Opening the door to something that isn't coming in. Now, let's face it, as a defense attorney, we've all done it. You've been in the moment and you ask a question and maybe it wasn't the best uh, articulated question. And next thing you know, you get an answer that wasn't really asked of because it was a poorly drafted question. And then guess what? You've opened the door to stuff that's not coming in. Well, that's what has happened to Alec Murdoch's counsel. So the whole use of Alec Murdoch's financial trouble as a motive for the uh, deaths of Paul and Maggie, specifically the murders, can be permitted per Judge Newman. The court will rule on the admissibility of specific evidence pointing to Alec Murdoch's financial crimes as the trial progresses, the judge said. He shared that in the court's view, based upon legal precedent, the evidence is valid as a broader context to the circumstances of the murders. He said the defense opened the door by asking witnesses about their knowledge of Paul Murdoch's 2019 boating accident, and if they could think of any reason why Alex Murdoch would kill his wife and son. That's right. So, as we stated, the defense objected to the prosecutors going into the questions um, of the witness of Will Loving, a childhood friend of Paul Murdoch's, uh, about his knowledge of Alex Murdoch's significant money issues at the time specifically the $792,000 in missing fees owed to the former law firm. The witness was asked by the defense whether he could think of any reason why Mr. Murdoch would commit the crimes that he was committing. Newman said that, in effect, turned the cross-examination of the witness from dealing with specific issues of the case to having that witness testify as a character witness. The judge said that opened the door for the prosecution to question the witnesses about the knowledge of a Murdoch's alleged financial crimes as a motive, which is what the prosecution has been saying all along. But you notice they didn't bring that up in their opening statement because the judge hadn't ruled on it as of that point. In addition to all that, the objection was totally inappropriate, the court said, because the defense attorney jumped up, made the objection, as the court noted, you should basically say objection, relevance, prejudicial. You don't get to do a speaking objection in front of the jury. Completely inappropriate. So as the uh, day progressed today, what did we get? Well, we didn't get any evidence for the jury to see because they were calling all the witnesses as it related to the financial crimes. And yes, the evidence is overwhelming, particularly from the bookkeeper, the accountant that worked at Alec Murdoch's law firm that went in and explained how she has known him since high school and has worked for his law firm for 20 years. And when his family was murdered, they put all those financial issues aside, but then they started looking into it again. And then they kept finding more and more and more inappropriateness where she stated several times he stole the firm's money. Yes, that's right. The witness, Jeannie Seckinger, their law office manager, does not like Alec Murdoch. And the funny thing is her husband's sister is married to the banker, Mr. Lafitte, who was convicted in uh, Charleston for all the federal banking fraud that went on. The prosecution called uh, Mr. Uh, Gunn to see if Forge had any files for a list of uh, names that were provided in uh, confidence. And uh, the bottom line is that uh, he had nothing. Um, the other attorney uh, that was called was the attorney that was doing a case, and it was the whole 
firm share splitting uh, fees. And uh, Mr. Wilson testified that, hey, uh, Alec Murdoch was my good friend. We went to law school together. We grew up, weren't close in high school, but we went to law school together, became good friends. And when asked, how are you feeling about this? And he said, I don't really know how I feel about it. Now, some of the evidence that did come in briefly the other day was uh, no blood tissue was found at the Mosul drains after the murder. Um, Katie McAllister was a SLED agent, and she searched the bathrooms at Alex Murdoch's home on June 8th regarding the presence of blood in the bathtub and sink drains. And um, when asked when you look at the drain in the shower, if somebody's recently showered off blood, you would expect to see some trace evidence, would you not? Ms. McAllister responded that she was unsure she was uh, qualified to answer that question. She did confirm that SLED has teams that could swab drains to search for trace or blood or tissue evidence, but said that those specialists were never called to the Mosul residence to her knowledge, and but she was the only one that checked for those drains. And he, when asked, you're telling the jury you saw no evidence of blood tissue or anything that would indicate that somebody had showered or washed off or bathed to remove evidence of a crime? Is that what you're telling us? Ms. McAllister said, yes, sir. There was nothing visible to me. So the Murdoch trial should be back to evidence before the jury uh, tomorrow. The court's going to rule on what specifically can come in, but this is a huge mistake that the defense made, and I mean huge, and I'm not going to beat them up. We've all been there in the heat of the moment. He thought he was doing great. I'm sure the defense attorney didn't think that he was opening the door, but when you ask, is there any reason basically to say he's such a good guy, he's such a great guy, uh, there's nothing that could possibly uh, have any reason why to kill anybody, guess what? That then turns from did the defendant do it to basically you're asking for evidence to, of character to come in. He's such a good guy. He wouldn't do anything. And so when they get to the defense, ask that witness for basically their lay opinion that he's a great guy, has no reason to kill anybody, then you get to test the basis of that opinion say, oh, really? Are you aware that he stole $792,000? Are you aware that he had uh, all these financial issues going on? And the witness is like, nope, nope, had no idea. Nope, nope, nope. The defense opened the door. And it was a little painful watching them struggle on cross-examination, specifically as it related to the office manager for Mr. Murdoch's former firm, because he had no really good explanation for it, other than, well, we were just deferring payment to avoid taxes. And the firm was very adamant that they weren't going to do anything to assist in hiding money as it related to uh, discovery issues related to the civil case as it relates to the death of Mallory Beach. So um, they have taken a turn. All right. And next on the docket, our dumb criminal of the day. Yes, our dumb criminal of the day. Do you know why chicken wings aren't served to school kids? because they're hazards. They pose a choking risk to kids. And yet a Chicago area school district ordered 11,000 cases of wings in what prosecutors allege was a scheme carried out by the food services director during the pandemic. Vera Little uh, was a longtime employee of the district, which is described as impoverished per court documents. And when uh, remote learning began due to COVID, the district continued to supply meals to students via a pickup option. Well, prosecutors allege that in addition to the necessary orders made by the district from July 2020 until February of 2022, 
Ms. Lytle allegedly placed hundreds of additional orders, mostly chicken wings from Gordon Food Services, for food that never ended up at the school. That's right. The school district was billed $1.5 million for those chicken wings. And uh, guess what? They were a little over budget. And it turns out they reviewed the invoices, did an audit. And who signed all of those chicken wing orders? Miss Liddell, 66 years old. No one knows exactly where the food went, but it certainly wasn't going to the kids. I think that she was out there selling them to restaurants super cheap because if you remember, during the pandemic, chicken wings were hard to come by. The cost skyrocketed. Good initiative. Poor judgment, Miss Liddell. Anyway, you're a dumb criminal of the day. There's a paper trail. They're going to find it. Don't do that. That's dumb. All right. Thanks for watching. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you next time on Crime Talk.